I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Kim Canton, author of Where Yellow Flowers Bloom, a true story of hope through unimaginable loss. On January 9th, 2018, heavy rainfall combined with deforestation from recent wildflowers fires caused a series of mud flows northwest of Montecito. The incident was responsible for 23 deaths and caused $177 million in property damage. News of the mudslide that ravaged the unsuspecting community made national headlines, and among those headlines was the tragic story of the Canton family. Kim Canton, along with her husband, two children, and family dog, were separated during the mudslide. When Kim was rescued that morning, she learned that her teen daughter miraculously had been found. Tragically, her husband did not survive and her son was missing. What transpired in the devastating aftermath of the Canton tragedy is a powerful three-and-a-half-year journey to find her son's remains. From organizing and performing for celebrity fundraisers for other mudslide victims to immersing herself in her art, singing, she has embraced her healing process in profound ways. Welcome to the show, Kim. Nice to have you on today. Thank you so much, Catherine. Thank you for having me. Well, obviously, the the key word here is unimaginable loss, and most people who go through the kind of loss that you did don't necessarily or aren't able to get through it in the ways that you have. So that last mm-hmm. sentence that I just mentioned in the intro, uh, you were you embraced your healing process in profound ways. How did you do that? Well, I was really surrounded by, you know, my anecdote were people, and I was very much supported by this community and by friends, and I opened myself up to that. Um, in grief or in trauma, you know, some people lean in and some people lean out, and I was fortunate that I was able to connect with the people who leaned in, and they really helped, and then I invested in my healing, which was, you know, I had never been through such a thing, and I just said, what do I need? And so I got all, you know, I signed up for trauma therapy, signed up for grief therapy, widow's group, the whole gamut, um, because that I needed to um, try to get through this. And so I invested um, a lot of time and energy into that. Well, I would imagine when you first heard that your daughter had been found, uh, I mean, that I, I, don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that would be elation. That would be, uh, you know, and then all, and then you hear that your husband died. What was the sequence mm-hmm. of that? How, you know, I mean, because that, that. So I know. was rolled into the ER at about 8.30 in the morning, and they were, they put lidocaine all over my body, and they were trying to clean the mud off and get me ready for surgery because I was so injured. And at about 10.30, I heard the swinging door open. I couldn't see because my eyes were shut because I had scratched the cornea by opening my eyes under the mud, and it scratched them. And the voice said, do you have a daughter named Lauren? And I said, yes, I do. And they said, she's just been rescued. And when I heard that, my body just relaxed, thank God. And um, then my head went to, you know, where's my husband and where's my son? And um, so the next day I had a surgery, the first day a couple surgeries. And the next day, I think the first thing they did is they did kind of a, they said was a dry run. They told me that my 90-pound Irish setter dog had passed away in the slide, which I saw him pass away. Um, 
because they wanted to know who I needed around me. And then the next morning, I think it was, um, someone from the sheriff's office came in and said that they had found Dave. He had been found that morning, the same morning I had, and he had gone a mile and a half. And he was found by the surf line at the beach. And um, so that was a massive blow, um, shock and disbelief. And then... And then Jack was just missing. You know, there was 23 people, you know, who perished that night. Um, 23 were, 21 were recovered. Two were missing. One was my son, and one was a two-year-old baby girl, Lydia. And so it was an odd progression because the detectives would come in. Where was Jack when the house hit? Because they were trying to figure out maybe flow patterns. Could he have been in the pool that filled up with mud? But you never really got, okay, he's gone. But you do the math after a few days you know someone can't um, stay alive. Like Lauren was, you know, she was buried alive for about eight hours. But, you know, people people can't do that. Well, yeah, after, as you say, you know that 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 you're going to then, uh, as I read in the beginning of, in, in the intro, that you're going to spend the time trying to find him and find his remains. But what's the emotion that goes through? Yeah, I mean, how, yeah, how do you, Desperation at first. Desperation, um, I yeah. knew in my mama's heart and in every fiber of my body that he's, his body did not make it to the ocean. I knew he was out somewhere. It was a 30-square-mile of debris, and he was somewhere in these massive debris piles, somewhere, or buried deep. And I just felt it, and um, it wasn't okay, so I felt desperation because they were hauling away. I think 50,000 truckloads were hauled away of mud. Um, People were cleaning up their lots. And so I was very fearful because people with mud look like logs. The last, one of the last women found they were next to her. Search and rescue was next to her for a couple days. They didn't realize it was her because they thought it was a log. So I was terrified. So my, my first part of it was terror, desperation. I've, I've got to find them and um, so as soon as I, I knew that they, they were searching, you know, there were search teams looking, but as soon as I got out of the hospital and could hobble around, I wanted to engage on it. And then, and then it just shifted, you know, as I went through it from a more desperate grief and just I've got to find them to more like let go and let God and, and trust the process. Um, I, I knew he'd be found, and it's just... All in, all in God's time, and God's time, I guess, is the right time, which I didn't like to hear that saying early on. I was like, I don't like that saying at all, but I, I came to accept it, and I think there's some truth to it. So, in other words, acceptance, and that, that yeah. evolves. The accept, trust the yeah. process. Yeah. Trust, trust the process. Uh, I mean, it's painful to hear. I think that, uh, and you mentioned earlier, I mean, it's painful for me to hear it. It's painful... I imagine for your your friends, your relatives, people who are close to you or close to your son, how did they respond? Because sometimes people don't know how to talk to you when that happens. They don't know what to say or they're afraid to say something or yeah. afraid to say the wrong thing. They want to support you, but it, they don't know how to do it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, look, I hadn't had much experience with grief before other than an elderly grandparent who lived in another country who passed away. So I didn't have the real experience of grief. And so, yeah, so some, most all people leaned in and the people who can handle it really leaned in to help. They had a comfort in it. And I, what I did is 
early on, I would talk about my husband and I would talk about and use their names about my son. And I did that in front of my son. He was 17, his, his 17-year-old friends. And they hadn't experienced death before. And, it, and parents told me that when I did that, and I had picked, I, I, people sent me pictures that they had. So I had some pictures up in, in the new place I was living. They saw it as permission. It's okay to speak. And because and, some people are so fearful that you're going to make the person cry. For me, and when I've heard from many, when you say their name or you talk about them, it's just a nice recognition that these people lived and that they were loved. And so I didn't mind it at all. Um, so that's how I did it, is I, I embraced the people who were leaning in to help. And there was a ton of them here. And new people entered my life that I didn't know and have since become dear friends. And then talk about it. Let people know what you're comfortable with. So you have to reach out as well. You're reaching out, and they're reach, they're leaning into you. It's kind of right? yeah, it's, yeah. Well, like for for the birthdays, right? Dave's first birthday, I had his friends meet at his favorite uh, Mexican food restaurant. And um, when Jack's birthday came along, and uh, he would have been 18, I had a party at my house with all his friends and his teachers, and it was it was healing for all of us. And I loved seeing those kids that I grew up with. And my daughter loved seeing Jack's friends because she misses him terribly. I've had several guests on my show who also have experienced unimaginable loss similar to yours. And and one of the guests had said to me, he said, you know, when I talk to the, like you're talking about talking to my uh, daughter's friends, they tell me things about my daughter I never even knew about. It keeps her alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's such a blessing. It, it feels good. It is. Uh, I mean, you hear yeah. stories that just make you smile, you know, or they, they shared me little videos. Like Jack was very funny and very good with the computers. And so when he was in class, he would secretly switch the cords on the computer next to the pretty girl sitting next to him, and, and all of a sudden he'd be controlling her cursor to her chagrin. <laughs> and then when she figured it out, he'd just be laughing. And so you just hear the fun stories. The other thing is that, that that sense of community that always comes in there that you really need to have to reach you reach out to your community. Yes, like you said, you go to you go trauma counseling. There's a lot of different things that you do. I guess yeah. you yeah, seeking out professionals, communities, friends, all of those things, and that's what's been helpful to you. But also, you said your own talents, like you staying in the moment. That's another thing. Let's that talk was about Lauren. that. I don't take credit for singing. You don't want me singing. But my daughter actually is a singer, and she sang right after there was a lot of fundraisers. And so, and in Santa Barbara, there's a lot of amazing talent. You know, Kenny Loggins, Kenny Loggins, um, Katy Perry, Dave, um, David Foster. Mm. So there were these fundraisers, and they asked Lauren to sing. And, and singing is healing for her. It makes her feel her feet on the ground. And it really moved the community because they saw the miracle mud princess who, you know, emerged from her entombment like a phoenix rising. And then they see, and they see how, you know, terrible that was. And then they see her on stage singing a moving song that her singing helped the community heal and it helped her heal. And, you know, perk was it raised money for disaster relief and for first responder equipment. So, she was all in, and I very much supported it because it was healing for her. It's, the healing process is different for everybody. And I, your daughter, for instance, and able, obviously she has a talent, and 
she's able to help the community heal. Did she ever express any feelings of, or have to deal with feelings, I guess, of guilt, survivor guilt? She lived, her brother didn't, her father didn't. How did that happen? Uh, I don't, she hasn't really articulated it much, but I'm sure both she and I had some of it. But we, what we know for sure is we did the best we could with the information we could have known, and we had no idea the mountain was going to race down, plume up to a 30-foot wave filled with, you know, car-sized boulders and 100-year-old down trees and crash down our, on our house with our family in it. So we didn't know. And, and so there's this profound, we have a profound gratefulness that we were spared because there's no reason with a 1,000 boulders and, and broken glass shard from all the houses that were washed away swimming with us and electrical wires that we should have survived. There's no way we should have. So we had a profound gratefulness that somehow, some way, we were spared. Um, but, yeah, I think there, there, she could have had a little bit. Um, you know, the priest at, I think, Dave's funeral, his sermon was a good one for the whole audience, which was, no coulda, shoulda, wouldas. No coulda, shoulda, wouldas. Don't second guess yourself. And that's a good message. No coulda, you know. It happened. It happened. And there was no warning at all. I mean, what I should ask you, what kind of warning was there, if any? Sure. So there had um, there had been, a you know, the largest wildfire in California history prior, the few weeks prior, right? And then what it did is it tore off all the um, foliagery of the mountain. And so there was heavy rain predicted. And when there was the Thomas fire, they, they had these alerts on your phone. It would blast like an amber alert. And we had that, and we'd watch it religiously, and we... When they said evacuate, we evacuated immediately. And so they said they're predicting heavy rain. We weren't in the mandatory evacuation, but we kept checking. Um, we even made a hotel room reservation, so if it rained heavy, we could get out of Dodge fast. Um, and sadly, you know, the perfect storm occurred, and they miscalculated, and, and you know, it wasn't just the houses. It was the houses perched up on the the hill that that got hit, it was the ones down in the village. And so by the time, I think I was, I had mud to my waist when the aware and beware blast went off saying get to high ground, and it was a little too late to help. So all of you tried to escape in in the middle of the night, the whole family? Yes, we were all up. We knew it was heavy rain. We are trying to get our clothes on to get out, and the book covers all the, the the. details and the chronology of that, of what, what we did. We were all in different parts of the house. I was in the living room getting the dog. Jack was getting his clothes on, we think, in his room. Lauren had run to get her rain boots on, which saved her, probably saved her life, you know, having knee-high rubber boots on while buried for, you know, the eight hours with electrical wires, live electrical wires going past her with shards of of glass going by her legs. So um, that decision to stop for her rain boots I'm really, really glad she did that. Well, it's interesting that you should mention that. Uh, I've interviewed many Navy SEALs and Holocaust victims, both of whom talk about if you're in a disaster, always put on, take the best pair of shoes or boots that you have because that will save your life, whether you have to walk for miles or whether you have to protect yourself in the way that your daughter did. Um, so right, right. A, living, living in California with, with the potential of earthquakes or whatever, you want to have under your bed a good pair, because you, you're bare feet in bed normally, right? You yeah. want a good pair of 
shoes under your bed. So if something happens, a fire, an earthquake, a hurricane, whatever your area is, you've got something that you can get out on and, and get away. Yeah, don't take your sandals or your flip-flops. That's not no, going no. to be... get some yeah. work boots or some runners, get some, you know, whatever. So we've been talking about, okay, well, this all this January 9th, 2018, so we are five years out. What's yeah. happening now with you and your daughter? And we've talked a little bit about it, but, you know, that's a long time. And um, so obviously things have changed. Well, yeah, it's a long time, but... And not. I had to recreate a life because everything washed away. I had nothing. I didn't have a toothbrush. I didn't have ID. I didn't have anything. I didn't have a couch. I had no, I had no clothes. I had nothing. So my five years has been 100% getting a home back, right, and making sure I have a hammer and nails or a <clears throat> needle and thread if a button comes off a shirt, stabilizing my daughter, stabilizing myself, getting myself physically healed, getting myself mentally healed. And so what happened to me is I think a lot of my grief, Catherine was really delayed because I had so much going on and I had compounded grief, right? I had to grieve on time for my husband, time for my son. Oh, by the way, his remains were still missing. So I was out searching for three years. So It's been a long time, but not because I've had so much to focus on that was so different from my life before the mudslide. Now I finally feel I'm getting on the backside of it, and it's actually because of the books coming out. And the book was a very cathartic process for me, and um, I haven't, I did not realize what an impact that would shift me emotionally. Of, whew, I'm, I'm getting there. So writing the book is reliving the story, isn't it? And I guess reliving it even in a different way because you have a different filter as you're writing the book. Yeah, Uh, you do. And it's reflective. I got to see from my desk, I got to sit back and take a look at the flow and say I went from desperate grief and shock. And as I moved through it and did the different things that I talk about and and the many synchronicities we saw in the search that that are kind of weaved through, um, I saw my more peaceful integration of this and adaptation because what do you have to the most successful people in life do one thing right they adapt life will always change stuff for us you adapt, you have to adapt you got to move forward well adapt in that concept of resiliency which all of us have experienced in our own ways with covid I mean what there yes. are those who were yes. able to yeah. adapt and those who haven't done so well. So yeah, Yeah. adaptation, evolution, all of those words, right? Pivot. Yeah. 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 And you do have to do that. So uh, what would you say, uh, I mean, going forward, because you said some of this in writing the book, you had delayed grief because you were so busy before, you know, you've got to do all that stuff. And now that that kind of wanes and you're back into a more, I'm using the word stable life, uh, all those other emotions associated with grief. Um, what were they? What are they? Um, well, I think, um, you know, I'm still working through some of the grief, but the book did a, a, a big part of it, and now I'm at the point where I'm comfortable knowing that 
I've got, a, I think, because I'm 57, you know, I think I've got hopefully 30 to 35 more years on me. That's a lot of living. Um, that I need to move forward and I want to move forward. And the best thing way I can honor my husband and my son is to move forward um, and find joy in my life. And I want my daughter to find joy and meaning in her life. And knowing my husband and son the way I do, they would want that. Just like if the tables were turned, I'd want that for them. I wouldn't want them to not seek out um, joy and meaning in life, whatever that looks like. If it's dating again, if it looks like that, if it's forging a new career, maybe I do more speaking, I don't know, um, more gardening, whatever it is. <laughs> um, it's just, it's just um, I do their legacy and our family legacy the best honor by how I move forward in my life and try to find meaning and vibrancy. Yeah. We, you're, you sound, obviously, you're a very reflective person, and you take time to do that. And I did mention it before. I mean, staying in the moment, being able to be reflective and to seek yeah. out, yeah, that joy. And the joy for you would be different than your daughter. She's at a different stage a different place in her life i would assume that that so spot on right everyone's yeah. brief journey is totally different she had a yeah. lot of trauma right being buried alive fully conscious for eight hours that's a lot and she's she was a younger developmental brain she was 14 at the time so the brain at that age could only handle so much and it's this onion that will unpeel as it's ready to unpeel appropriately as the brain gets now 20 years old it can handle maybe more and then at 25, when the executive brain is kind of should be in full functioning mode, she might experience her grief and her trauma in a slightly different way. And that's okay because everyone's journey is their own. And you just have to, I just want to be supportive of her, of what does she need at the time. And just like I'm trying to be supportive and gentle on myself, what do I need at the time? There's no formula for grief. I think sometimes no. that professionals, and you know, I, I'm a social worker, tend to maybe get into that kind of headset, you know, that there is a formula, there's a time frame. you have six months, you have a year, and that's you know, healthy if you can go through your grief in a, p a certain period of time, and, and that's not true. There is no formula. No, it's a messy bowl of spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> spaghetti, chaos, yeah, that makes yeah. A, a lot more sense. Well, what are some of the triggers for you? I mean, I assume there must for be me, some. It's yeah. <clears throat> I've noticed, and this is common, I think, for people with sudden uh, unexpected death and trauma, is I get triggered with heavy rains because I live in Santa Barbara, and when the mountain came down and gave way, those mountains mean death danger to me in a heavy rain. Whereas when I've been in rain recently in other parts of California or on the East Coast driving or just being, you know, in someone's house, I'm totally okay. Because those places didn't let me down. There was no death danger that I perceived there. And so um, I'm more, I, how does, I think I'm hypervigilant. I think I've got some hypervigilance to work on, you know, with my therapist because I, when they say heavy rain, I go like, okay, I'm not driving today. I'm not going to be on the roads at all. And I tell my daughter, you're not going on the roads today. And she's like, but mom, I got to get to work, right? Um, so I know that in me, that I have that, and I'm going to continue to work on it. Um, 
or make adjustments. Maybe I won't live in Santa Barbara the whole time. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll be in a place that feels a little safer. I don't know. But it's a, every day. I'm just going to meet the day as the day comes. Yeah. Well, that was kind of it. We only had a few minutes left. That was my last questions. I mean, do you ever feel like I can't stay here anymore? I have to leave because there's too many triggers. It's it's too painful to be not here. yet. But not yet. I don't know how much time I'll be totally spending here, but not yet. I, Santa Barbara's been such an amazing community, and it's so beautiful. It's a beautiful place. I've been there many years ago. Uh, it was gorgeous, beautiful, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. I was there as a tourist, so it's a whole different situation. But anyway, Good for you. yeah, That's perfect. <laughs> yeah, it was a beautiful country. But any, so Kim, all right, why don't you? Your book is "Where Flowers Bloom: A True Story of Hope Through Unimaginable Loss." Uh, Kim, tell us where we can uh, get yeah, the so book. Yeah, so you can get "Where Yellow yeah. Flowers Bloom" um, on Amazon. Uh, it's starting to be in some local bookstores here in Santa Barbara, but the best place is probably Amazon. You can find out more about the story on my website, which is kimcanton.com, and it's C-A-N-T-I-N, like a tin can, kimcanton.com. So that would guide you to, to where you could get it. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that you want to do more public speaking. Well, now you're on the radio, so I assume you'll be on the radio so thank more you. often. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, and, and it's not public speaking for public speaking's sake. If my story can some way help another person going through a rough spot, it's well worth it. And that's the purpose. Yeah. I, I think your story absolutely does do that. I think you need to get out there. Um, that's what your book does. And, and that's what you've done today, uh, you know, having this conversation with me. So get out there and tell your story. Thanks so well, thank much. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being on the show. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. And you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 